Live from the Motor City, all the way to the Volunteer State, it's time for the Reckless Speculation Podcast, where we recklessly speculate the latest news in the world of sports, from college football to NASCAR. We've got you covered. And don't forget to stick around for the world-famous Bet Your Nuts, where we will give you your best bets to make the most money. Now sit back, grab your favorite drink of choice, and join Robbie Davis, Raj Mehta, Brandon Chain, and Tom Sloan. It's showtime! us down we're going to get up and on the way up we're going to bite a kneecap off all right and we're going to stand up and then it's going to take two more shots to knock us down all right and on the way up we're going to take your other kneecap and we're going to get up and then it's going to take three shots to get us down and when we do we're going to take another hunk out of you before before long we're the, going to be the last one standing There's the snap. Blitz comes. Mayfield back. Loads. Throws. Picked up by the Lions. Intercepted by the Lions. Intercepted by the Lions. Derek Barnes. Derek Barnes. Derek Barnes. Oh, baby. 133 to go. The Lions are going to San Francisco. Derek Barnes with the interception. Oh, baby. Stand up, Ford Field. Look at this. Woo. Look at this. First career interception for Derek Barnes, and how big is that? Yes, man, yes. Welcome, everyone, to Reckless Speculation. And uh, our boy Tom here was at that game. Let's dive right into it, man. What was that atmosphere like, seeing just – the game in general, and then that that play in particular at the end. Well, I, I'll start by saying the atmosphere for the wild card against the Rams was like nothing I'd ever been a part of or witnessed in my entire life. Um, the crowd was so insane. I mean, from first snap to last snap, it was unbelievable. And, and, and the proverbial monkey off every Detroit Lions back, uh, 30 – 32 years of no playoff wins uh, came off, and it, and it felt so good. Uh, lots of emotions. Um, so heading into last week's game, you know, I was concerned. The, the, the vibe the vibe pregame, it wasn't like the week prior, you know, partly because it was a 3 o'clock kickoff. The week prior was 8.15, so there was a lot more time to get sauced up down there. But mm-hmm. – Mike Phillips, who's a world-renowned uh, saxophone player, uh, did the national anthem. And uh, let's just say uh, from that moment on, uh, Ford Field's roof was blown off. Uh, it was just incredible. Uh, the, 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 the stadium was louder, and it, it, the decibel levels were uh, one decibel higher than the week before, which became the third loudest uh, NFL football game in history. Uh, I think it was 134 decibels, just a couple decibels behind it, uh, Arrowhead and Lumen Field for Seattle. So uh, it's pretty dang good company. So uh, it was loud. Uh, there was a guy in front of us who was actually uh, plugging his ears. It was so loud. It was awesome. But um, uh, P- 
people hugging, high-fiving uh, w- when they took that final knee and know that they were heading back to the NFC Championship game. It just – it. Uh, I was talking to a good friend today, and and uh, the, the, the comment got brought up about, you know, you could have sold your tickets and paid for next year. And, and my comment to him was, you can't put a price tag on – what we just felt, the experience we just had, um, seeing all those fans uh, outside of Ford Field after the game, uh, walking down Woodward, just people, you would have thought they won the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. Uh, Atmosphere was just, it was incredible. Uh, So for that to be the first time in 32 years, I, I just, I don't think there was any way that you could sell your tickets. I mean, maybe next year or the year after that, after they've done it, it's not uh, such a big sure. deal, uh, maybe. But but for what we got to experience on Sunday, there's no price tag. There's just isn't. It's it's memories that we'll always have. It's just and hugging with strangers. We had a row behind us. They, these guys were all from New York, and uh, they live here. And the one guy said he met his wife and he moved here 30 years ago. And to quote this guy, I'm a diehard. I'm a diehard. I love this team. I love this city. So to see people from outside of Detroit being a part of it and just having so much uh, love and, and, and drive to see this team uh, do well, it, it's awesome. It's officially become America's team. No more Dallas Cowboys. I'm sorry. New, new uh, dog in, in town. That's for sure. I would agree with that statement. And, you know, as – as a fan for that long with a team with a, a drought that big, I would think the hunger for a playoff win and to be in that atmosphere, to be in that game, um, to be a fan. To, I mean, if you're a true fan, there's no way you're selling your ticket. Like, no. I just, I, I don't see it at all. Um, no, no amount of money. So, I, I'm happy for you, bud. That, that looked awesome. Um, you sent us some pictures. Uh, how nervous were you coming into? I, I think if I'm if I'm right, I think you were more nervous maybe for the Rams versus uh, the Rams than you were the Bucks. But but go ahead and break that down. What what was your excitement, nervous level? What were you confident, uh, you know, once you beat the Rams, did play in the Bucks? I mean, take us through that. I'll definitely say leading into the game, the nervous level, the anxiety was definitely higher against the Rams because Stafford's still – he's still a gunslinger. And with, with Puka and with Cooper Cup and Kyron Williams, uh, that's a really solid offensive attack, and and it worried me. Were the emotions going to work in his favor or against his, you know, against him? Uh, what hell of a game that Stafford had. Um, so the nerve level on that was, was pretty high. Uh, my stomach was in knots in the fourth quarter. Uh, but then you, you fast forward to this past weekend. I felt pretty confident going in. Uh, obviously, it's, it's Baker Mayfield. You, you know his track record. He has good games and then he has bad games. 
And I felt like maybe he's due for a bad game because he played really well against the Eagles. He's played really well down the stretch with the exception of week 18, where they only beat Carolina nine, nothing. So um, I definitely had a lot of, a lot of confidence. I felt the crowd was going to be a major factor, but to, to my chagrin, not one false start penalty for Tampa. They were in this game right off the rip. And, you know, toward the end of the third quarter, it's 10 to 10. I'm getting worried. Now I'm worried because mm-hmm. uh, you're one turnover away from this game flipping. And um, fortunately, Detroit got a hell of a run by Jameer Gibbs, who's just been outstanding. Uh, as the season's gone on, he absolutely punked Antoine Winfield Jr. And I think he got the the, the scepter from uh, NFL Network, uh, Kyle, uh, the guy from Good Morning Football. But in TV, real world guy. Then the, the man right here, Amon Ross St. Brown, gets the fade to put him up by two touchdowns. So I, I it, it eased my nerves, but then – the uh, Swiss cheese secondary of the Lions uh, came showing themselves, and, and Baker ran right down the field, which caused uh, Todd Bowles to make his first of two bonehead decisions, going for two in that in that play, which would have you know if he would have kicked the field goal, it would have been a seven point game, uh, but instead it was an eight. And then at the end, when they took the knee, with you know Detroit took the knee pretty quick. Well, if they could have called the timeout, you know, all 39, the, 39 seconds left. That all they could have got were, mm-hmm. and, and, and I respect Todd Bowles with with his comment. You don't get too many coaches that just tell it like it is. He goes, they would just kick the field goal. And the game was over, you know. So I, I can respect that. But, you know, from a competitive standpoint, you, if there's a – say there's a chance, uh, you right. can call that timeout. But – um, yeah, there was about 10 minutes in that game where I was um I was I was worried. And you yeah. could feel you could feel momentum starting to shift a little bit, but that crowd stayed with it. And then once they put Eminem on the scoreboard, <laughs> or literally it, it he was only on the scoreboard. I couldn't even get my my phone out in time to, to take a shot. Uh that was it. That you know, was that's on purpose, right? Like, oh yeah, it was the it only was, time he get everybody out, fired up. Yeah. It, but it, he'll say like one time at the end of the game, don't use me. You know, he's all about exploitation. So, yep. but Tom, as real quick, as a NFL fan, it translated. The noise translated. Um, it, well, it, it it definitely did. But I, I know I watched the replay last night on NFL Network, and you could hear. Mike Tarico and Collinsworth literally have to speak up into their microphone. And, and, and it was just a constant, constant. And it was funny, you know, it's always fun to go back and watch games that you, you attended because you remember these key moments and there was some key moments I remembered. And then to see it happen, it was awesome. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I can only imagine what it would have been like to have an NFC championship game here. I just, it would have been, unbelievable but um i'll take i'll take a trip to san francisco there's i i will not complain uh i think it's set up exactly the way it should be so uh based on how the season progressed but um it's an experience i, I will never forget 
um, <laughs> to be a part of. And, uh, and, and I thank my <laughs> better half for, uh, pushing us to get season tickets this year, because if not, we would have never been able to experience that. So I'm very thankful. Hey, real quick, before I get into what I think you're going to ask me, um, playoff lore is all about magic and the unexpected Romo fumbling the snap, the immaculate reception, which touched the fucking ground as a Raider fan, you know, the tuck rule, which ripped off Raider fan. Cause that was a fucking fumble. And Brady said it, the Heidi game, you know, the Holy Roller, these things happen and you have to give yourself a chance. Mm -hmm. Take every snap you can. You yep. don't know if Ragnow is, who's an amazing center, it just otherworldly, you know, sneezes and the crowd going nuts and he takes his eye or mind off for one second. Mm -hmm. You just, you give your team he was every playing with a chance. He was playing with a sprained knee and ankle and he, and he missed like two plays. That was it. And and you mentioned the Heidi game and, and the ironic part of of this game was the the local NBC affiliate here dropped the game like unexpectedly the 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 the, the picture went dark so a lot of people had the scramble to Peacock <laughs> to watch that game so there no was way there was a period where where uh, local coverage it, it wasn't on. I don't know for how long, but I remember getting some texts and tweets that said, uh, "Where'd the game go? Does anybody else lose the signal?" So, and, and then I heard that uh, people had to rush to Peacock to to pick it up. So I just it's it just it probably blew up from you know the the almost fifty million people that that tuned in to watch that game. It was awesome, just awesome. Dude, yeah. that's the that's that's the stuff that gets people murdered, and I'm not just saying that about Detroit, a divisional playoff game. Yeah, you, you can't have that. Uh, <laughs> you can't. <laughs> that's just it's ridiculous. Uh, welcome, Raj. As you know, everybody knows Raj here. Um, slightly late, but on time. IST uh, <laughs> Indian Standard Time. I'm sorry. It's, it's no, you're good, dude. That's my shit, uh, dude. Like a guy with an eye patch. Well, we had we had you know a lot to cover with Tom to to get started, so it's all good. Um, but as we mentioned this, you know, earlier this year um, about the lines and their potential and what we all thought. And did you ever think, Raj, that you would see a run like this for their first playoff win in 32 years and their second playoff win in 32 years. And now they're in the championship game. I mean, how far can this thing go? Do you think? I mean, it, it can go to the end with what they produce on the field and what they have, you know, dating back and just quickly, if you look at the Kansas city chiefs, they became the new England Patriots organizationally. And I'm not putting Detroit there yet. What I'm saying is in the draft, Kansas City since 2017, I believe, when they got uh, Chris Jones, has selected themselves and developed gems. 16 contributors, 11 starters, I believe, all over the football. They talent eval. They develop these players. They stay within. They may sign a free agent like Jawan Taylor from Jacksonville, but that's just to protect their biggest asset in Mahomes. Detroit with their former GM, Bob Quinn. Started out just like, you know, Pete Carroll did at USC. I have to go. That's all I got. Alabama, Harbaugh, Michigan. 
the 90s Dallas Cowboys. They started in the trenches. And it goes back to, what, like 2016 when they got starting yeah. left tackle Taylor Decker, Decker and, uh, and and Graham Glasgow from? Where's the Graham University from? University of Michigan. The national champion University of Michigan. And, but and Decker's from the – School uh, down south, yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah, Tosu. And they got Ashawn Robinson, ironically enough, won a championship with the Rams. But And, and Quinn had too many misses, especially at skill. He also uh, drafted Frank Ragnow. So, I yes, mean, he did draft he, he deserves a little, little bit of credit for a little um, bit of credit for this team. The misses were far. I mean, oh, yeah. In the trenches, they were big. And that's three of the five offensive line. And that's the most consistent offensive line over the last. Three years since they drafted Panay Sewell, who I wanted so badly at USC when I went to Oregon. You know, we knew he was a potential Hall of Famer. He was that good. Um, but anyways, in 21, Brad Holmes came on board, and so did Dan Campbell. And since then, in 2021 and 2023, their talent evaluation, they've gotten nine starters. And they built, in addition to the trade, but they built those trenches and they went after speed, speed, and more speed on the outside. They went strength with consistency. They found gems. Obviously, the most notable example is my favorite Detroit Lion ever. And that's number 14 for Detroit, former USC Trojan, Orange County kid, Amon Ra St. Brown, whose mm -hmm. dad was a Mr. Olympian and started a protein company. So that should tell you something. How he fell to the fourth mm. round, I'll never know. Ironically, the following year, the 49ers drafted Talanoa Hufanga, who was an all-pro at in the fifth round from USC. But he ain't playing. He's out. But 16 receivers drafted ahead of Amon Ra, and that pissed him off. But anyways, you know, Gibbs, Laporta, Brian Branch, they're finding these dudes. Um, obviously, with Detroit, the issue is going to be their pass defense. Their rush defense is actually quite good. I believe it's uh, PFF had it six in the uh, in the NFL. But to answer your question in a Raj roundabout way, I did see it coming. I think a lot of us were on the Lions coming into this year. Mm -hmm. And then when you saw, and I drafted Laporta late, thankfully, then when you saw, you know what, Gardner Johnson and Branch and what they were bringing uh, on the back end and making Branch, up for Branch was all over like, the field last week. Uh, everywhere. Yes. Uh, just an amazing draft pick and kid uh, making up for guys like Akuda who they, they got rid of. But uh, again, Gibbs, St. Brown, Jamison Williams, Josh Reynolds was a great pickup from the Rams. And then adding Laporta who adds a dimension that Hawkinson didn't. And he had the foresight to make these deals. And at the time, mm -hmm. and, and again, like, I think Mr. Miyagi is their freaking medical trainer because I don't know how these guys come back. I thought well, LaPorta was done. Look but, at, look at, you You mentioned Brad Holmes, and I don't mean to cut you off, but. No, no, it's your team, bro. You look oh, yeah. at, where did he come from? The Rams. Yes, that's right. He was, he, the head, forever. he was head of college scouting for the Los Angeles Rams. Um. And you see what happened with them. And for him to come to this team, he took so much heat. This team took so much heat after this, this past year's draft. What are they doing? I just watched a video, and they were talking about Jameer Gibbs. They're like, 
What an, what a dumb pick. Like, you don't draft a running back in the first round. Where would this team be without Jameer Gibbs right now? I mean, and then you look at uh, Jack Campbell, who went second, and then you get uh, Laporta and then Brian Branch in the second round. It's just one thing that deters Brad Holmes from all the rest of the GMs that have been in this town. They former regimes, we'll just leave it at that, would draft the name. We got to have the name. This regime drafts the need. What the all grit, that means who fits what we're doing. I don't care what his draft grade was. I don't care what Mel Kuyper says. Does this guy, does he have it? Does he have grit? We mm. want him. And all four of those picks that they got were great guys, were no names. They were just people that, guys that they knew they could plug in and play. And all four of them are huge con contributors. And even their fifth round uh, offensive lineman out of William and Mary, he's he's going to be plugged in this week with Jonah Jackson being out. So uh, these guys are making contributions, and they're, they wouldn't be where they're at today if not for the 2023 draft picks. And, of course, getting Hutchinson was, yeah. was just sort of like the stars aligning, right? Right, right. And solved like 40 different problems, including Mojo. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and look, every team has dudes, right? Every team drafts good players and they've got dudes. But it's what you can do with those guys and what kind of culture you can build and get everyone to buy into. Um, and obviously, just watching Dan Campbell and some of his – speeches and, and just what he's built there like this dude everyone's buying in and it's it's showing they're producing on the field he's getting the best out of his players um you know i i agree i think the lines can go all the way they've got they've got the quality in the coaching and they got the quality in the players so um anxious to see one more question both of you real quick did the Lions win the trade with the Rams? Rosh. Not yet, because they've got a Super Bowl championship and Detroit doesn't. But, you know, Tom will know exactly what players they, they turn that into. I mean, they got a first in 22, a first last year, and a third last year. And uh, I don't want to steal Tom's thunder, but I guess that would be Campbell uh, and then probably Hooker, yeah. Martin, one of those guys. Gibbs and Laporta are part of that trade. Oh, that was Gibbs picket. Oh, yeah, the Rams sucked last year. Yep. Well, then, damn. Uh, I mean, look where they are now. It, it's mm -hmm. it's kind of simplistic to say Stafford got a ring and that was meant to be. So maybe it's both. You 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 pose this question Monday, and this has been a head scratcher because, like Raj said. L.A. wanted a Super Bowl, and they got it. They gave up a lot of draft picks. But as you can see, uh, they've got a hell of a, a front office that can talent evaluate. And they seem to, you know, reload uh, with a lot of late-round picks. They gave up a lot of their early-round picks, but they've been able to make do with a lot of uh, good talent late in late rounds. But as far as the pathway to the future goes you 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 were given basically the quarterback was the
the throw-in essentially. Uh, yeah, we we didn't want him when he was here. Just you take him, and, and and in three years he he went from the dumpster to he's the king of Detroit, and and they're they're chanting his name in Ford Field, and and you know he hears that, um, and he's playing at a high level. He's not sexy. He doesn't run around like these these running quarterbacks, but he's smart and he's efficient and he's a leader. But then on the flip side, you look at the future with Laporta, with with Campbell, with with Gibbs. I mean, they have set themselves up for the next few years with this pick. So in some ways, the Rams won it because they got a Super Bowl out of it. And in other ways, the Lions won it because it set themselves up for for success. And I think future success in, 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 a, in a form of free agents that are going to, A, want to come to Detroit to play for Dan Campbell, not only because he is just an expert motivator, but two, that's a team that is young, is aggressive, and, and has all indications they're going to win for the next few years. So they have the pieces in place. So why wouldn't a free agent want to say, hey, I want to go play in Detroit because, and then after watching that atmosphere at Ford Field, shit, there isn't a better home field around in the NFL. So I, I think it's right now it's it's TBD. <laughs> can the Lions win a Super Bowl this year? Maybe. Can they win a Super Bowl in the next five years? Sure, they should. Sure. If that's the case, then I I think maybe the Lions would win. So they will be hosting one. I, you said about that, and the only issue would be their older front offensive line, but. Real quick, Goff is Detroit, man. He's the underdog. Mm -hmm. He doesn't bark. He just proves it. Um, he is Detroit. He yeah. was something everybody gave up on. And look yeah. at him now. Well, I, I think this was the most, you know, looking back and where we are right now, this is the most equal trade for both parties that mm -hmm. I can remember in the longest time. Because what did the Rams do? At this time, they sold the farm to get a Super Bowl. And yeah. what happened? They won a Super they Bowl. Won. They got what they wanted. Mm -hmm. Who cares for the next five years? They can go into rebuild mode. They can do whatever. They just want a Super Bowl. Yep. But this also gave Detroit the pieces to build towards this 32-year drought to where they're at now and stack on top of that. Now, you know, who's, who's to say within three years – Detroit's not in that position to where they're they're missing one key piece. They sell their draft picks to to win mm -hmm. a Super Bowl, and, and you know comes right back to them. So, yep, um, I think this was one of the most fair trades. Looking back now, when everyone thought the Rams were crazy, they're selling the farm until they won the Super Bowl. You know, it, it this whole mentality in the NFL is trying to rebuild and restack, and but no one ever really went out and tried to win until the Rams, which we saw. Yeah. So I they were think aggressive. They were, they aggressive. were aggressive and they knew they were missing just a couple key pieces. Yeah, and maybe a little um, collusion and Cabo. We'll call it. Maybe we can <laughs> that collusion and just so happened that Stafford and McVeigh were in Cabo at the same time. Tipping back. Could have been, could have been, but again, like I said, I think it was great. Uh, oh, yeah. for Better back to back. Fifth round picks than Puka Nakua and Kyron Williams because that's what the Rams did. Yeah, that's pretty yeah. impressive. Well, again, some other talent evaluation going on there. Uh, it's pretty, pretty damn impressive. But uh, he doesn't get uh, hurt. That's a different game. Let's let's move on. Um, let's go. 
let's do a little division round takeaways here. We'll start with, you know, the second game that uh, we watched, which Casey at Buffalo, big night game. Um, Buffalo just can't seem to get off this hump here against Casey. Everyone, they were, they were favored, what, 3.2 and a half, I think it got to. Uh, in Buffalo, no excuses. Kansas City looks off this year. Uh, Buffalo was the hot team coming in. I mean, the, the last three, four weeks, they were just dominating. Um, Raj, has, has Buffalo reached their ceiling here? I mean, can they not get over that hunt with KC? Can they not beat Patrick Mahomes? Uh, no, but they obviously need to make a few changes. And one of them is the idiot at the top of the charts, and, and that's Sean McDermott. Um, you know, I think that's pretty clear. Uh, you know, if anybody Googles like Sean McDermott, questionable decisions, mm. just look and see what you find out. Um, but no, when it comes to the bills, you know, I'm not sure their free agent status, you know, I do think chemistry was an issue. Um, you know, guys like Diggs and whatnot, but you know, they've managed to find other guys like Raymond and, uh, or sorry, Shakir. And, um, you know, the offensive line is good. If you look at them statistically, everything is there really. Um, there's only one or two things that they need help with. And, um, and that can be fixed. And I had my all of my rankings memorized, but I just blanked. But <laughs> short answer, really, as long as you have Josh Allen and you can play in freaking that place, then mm -hmm. and Vegas doesn't move your games, you're fine. I mean, their secondary is amazing. You know, they were top three or four coverage team with those two safeties back there. Uh, you know, the pieces are in place. They They've just it's got to come together. They got new linebackers, you know, but no, they're not done yet, but they need a new coach. Yeah. I don't disagree with that. Um, it, and that's the thing. A lot of people were trying to throw Allen under the bus a little bit. Like he can't, he, he played a phenomenal game. Uh, you cannot put that game on his shoulders by any means. Same, you know, what, two years ago when they lost in overtime. That was just a coin flip. That's he the only thing. didn't get a chance lost. to touch the ball. Didn't get a chance to touch it. So, um, Tom, They're looking running, back. I was just going to say real quick, I found it. The run defense for Buffalo is 29th in the NFL. PFF rated their tackling as 28th. That's what I was about to get into. Like, looking back at this game, it seemed to be – the the defensive play calling and, and decisions. I get Patrick Mahomes is, is a wizard, but um, it, it seemed they couldn't stop the run when they needed to, and then they couldn't find Kelsey also, which is a, a big red flag going on the other side. What was your breakdown of, of their kind of debacle of the, the fourth quarter there? I think kind of like Detroit when it got real close, you know, Detroit didn't break. Whereas Buffalo, and let's not let's not you know forget Buffalo has been depleted with injuries, especially in their secondary. Mm -hmm. So um, they were missing key pieces of that of that team. So when you're missing that, and you have a team, a coach, a quarterback who is built for January, who just does it. They just find a way, no matter what. Their record said, no matter how the off the season has been for them, 
They just know what buttons to push. So the window for success for Buffalo was very small and, and the, they didn't have much room for error. And so when you, when you look at the fake punt in their own territory, there's a, there's a huge problem. There's the big problem. And then you look at um, Josh Allen, who puts an absolute dime right in Steph Diggs's hands. Yep. And he drops it. Yep. And then you have uh, the kicker who yeah. up until last week, Tyler Bass has been a, a top five kicker in the NFL, maybe even higher. Absolute Scott Norwood, the kick. So you had three instances in that fourth quarter where you made huge blunders. Huge of events. And yeah. when you're facing a team that's experienced, that's battle-tested, and has proven they can win on the road. You can't give them those opportunities because they'll punch you in the mouth. And frankly, uh, I heard a a quote coming home that Pacheco runs like he's mad at the ground. And he does. I mean, he's he's an old-school type Roger Craig. I'm showing my age and Roger's age type runner. He's just – he goes at it. And you have the fear of Kelsey, no matter what. You have the fear of Kelsey. Mm-hmm. And uh, Rice has come through. So I think they were more focused on Mahomes throwing the ball. Sure. And the run game just kind of ate him alive. So when you're when you're making those mistakes and your window is very small to make those mistakes, you're not going to overcome. And, and Could have got away maybe with could've. one – one of those, maybe, maybe two. But, but. Well, and then here, here's another thing. You have two timeouts. And you have, what is there, a minute and change? You know they're going to run the ball. Mm-hmm. First down, they give up nine yards. Like, come on. Yeah, and, what are you it's doing? Just, they, I think they were all checked out at that point after the missed field goal. So yeah. it's unfortunate. I agree McDermott has to go, not only for – the fact that he's plateaued as a team, but for his ridiculous comments he made about a month ago, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah, that's I, the main thing, but we're I, not. Gonna I agree. Yeah. I agree. He's kind of taking sure. them as far as he can. So, but uh, you know, uh, real quick, the play calling, they had first down first and 10 at the Kansas city, 27, mm-hmm. one yard run, two minute one. There's two forty two left mm-hmm. from right there. And they got too cute, two incomplete passes. <laughs> Allen put it on him, and then you got Bass kicking it, probably from the wrong hash mark. Um, you, you know, you just got to take what they give you and get him in position. Mm-hmm. They got greedy. Yeah, I agree. That, again, falls back to play calling and head coach upper chain management there. Um, another – so Mahomes has made it to the AFC Championship every year that he's been a starter. <laughs> that's unbelievable. How impressive is that? I mean, that's just insane, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he's also, prior to this game, he is 8-1 and one as a road dog. And one. He had a, t- he had a push. I said 8 and – oh, 8-1 and one and one. Yes, sorry. Uh, <laughs> now he's 9-1 and one and one. Like, coming in, and we'll get, get ahead to the next game, but he's a road dog again. Like, I took the Chiefs. I bet – Heavy on them and the over. I didn't think with those stats, I'm not not betting against Mahomes until he proves Hard. me wrong. It's tough. Um, 
but it's it's a pretty impressive stat. Uh, and that's ATS, that. but like even more so as just straight under like winning or losing, he's eight and three. And the mm-hmm. great players step up. The whole world's watching Kelsey and he's making heart things and whatnot. And what does he do? He's you know, has two TDs. That mm-hmm. that's what they do. They relish that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, having Kelsey is a is a it really reminds me of a lot of Brady and Gronk for a little bit. Yeah. Because you look at Brady and what he did, how he Security elevated man. he elevated other wide receivers around him mm-hmm. that were nobodies, no names. Belichick played the money ball game, as we all know. Um uh, there's not I mean, you've got some misfit wide receivers out there on the Chiefs and you know, Rice has shown a lot of potential, but these these guys, I mean, nobody wanted them. They're, you know, Valdez Scantley's a journeyman. It was a bum in Green Bay. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And and you look at what Mahomes does to these guys and, and elevates them. Mm-hmm. But I think that that I think having that safety blanket in like uh when in Brady doubt Gronk and now he's got Kelsey when in doubt. Because they don't, he doesn't even run routes. Like he just no. runs around the field and finds. He's, he's a space. he's a uh, um, a zone killer. Right. Yeah. He exactly. just finds the pocket, it, and he wears exactly. his yellow shoes. Yeah. And his and yellow gloves. So you it picks yeah. it up. So yeah. he's he, he knows where he's at at all times. Right. So um, that that to me, I, I just kind of really noticed that you know the last couple of years that it, it is very very similar. And it's it's been successful. Um, I mean, it, it's pretty incredible to see. But uh, do you guys think Buffalo is going to make a coaching change? Uh, Raj, we'll go to you first. I hope so. With with this coaching carousel going around, I mean, are they too late to the party to do it this year? Great point. I really thought they'd be more active. I mean, if the Milwaukee Bucks are firing championship coaches and dudes that are 30 and 13, Unbelievable. Uh, Buffalo should be sick of being a bridesmaid and to a bridesmaid. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't know why he still has a job, especially after the fake punt and what he said mm-hmm. earlier in the year. And for those sure. who don't know, he talked about team uh, orchestrating things together and there was an analogy to the terrorist attack and the terrorists themselves. So that's all I'll say about that, which is. Yeah, you can just, Google it and look it up. It's just yeah, asinine. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's just absolutely asinine. I mean, right then I would have fired his ass. But I, I think I think there's a guy out there that exemplifies what Buffalo is. Uh, he's proven to win in this league. And was unjustly just fired from Brandon, your Tennessee Titans. I think Mike Vrabel is probably as good, if not the best candidate that could tip, go into Buffalo and and turn that team around. Um, he's Midwest guy. He's cold weather guy. He's uh, AFC East guy, albeit he was with the Patriots, the rival. But nonetheless... Athletic he, UB. He know. is he is Dan a guy Golden. that he's a no nonsense. Hey, you know what? He's a Dan Campbell type guy. Yeah, I think he it, he 
bleeds buff. I think he just exemplifies what Buffalo, New York is all about. He would understand it. He knows what it's about to, to play there. Um, I think he's available. T- to me, that's that's a no-brainer. Whether they pull the trigger or not, I don't know. I think it's in their best interest that you know Mike Rabel be the next coach of the Buffalo Bills. So, Brandon, why haven't we heard more of Rabel to this point? Because he's a phenomenal coach. You know, I don't know. There's been a couple things, couple ex players coming out talking about Vrabel. Um, I think Wesley Woodyard was one of them that spoke today or yesterday, possibly. Um, just some of his antics behind the scenes uh, that goes on. He's hard nosed, doesn't let kids on the field, alienates players. Um, Pooping yeah. with the door open at draft night. Is it, you know, who knows what. <laughs> But majority of the players that have played for him have loved him, and and you know Woodyard. I don't know what happened there. Maybe he got pissed because he got benched and traded or released, whatever. I don't know. But you're going to have two sides to every story. There's going to be yeah. people that love you and people that hate you. That's just sure. part of the business. But uh, he's a great coach, and uh, Tom, you bring up a great point. I think Buffalo would be a, a really good landing spot for him. Um, they're they're prepared to win a Super Bowl. Um, they're they're so close every year. I think he could get them over that hump. He's beat Patrick Mahomes, mm-hmm. um, and when, when he had no business beating Patrick, when he had no business beating Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City, uh, snow game, like he he's done all the things. So um, I think he, you he, fucking he, nailed it right there. As soon as you said that, I was like. I thought of that. Yeah, yeah, you killed it. <laughs> no, so that's that's awesome. And one more quick thing before we go through the coaching carousel. This fumbling into the end zone, this has perplexed everyone for quite some time. <laughs> just just the whole all right, first off, you can you can catch a ball or you can run a ball in, right? And you can reach across the end zone and if somebody smacks it out of your hand. And you fumble midair, the ball crosses the plane, that's a touchdown. Then when you catch the ball, you clearly have possession, you roll over, the ball hits the ground, it's an incomplete pass. The damn ball crossed the end zone, that should have been a touchdown. Now you fumble it into the end zone, and instead of being out on the one where you're lined up on the one, because you can't advance a fumble, right? But unless you can advance it in the end zone. Unless you're the fumbler, you can advance it in the end zone and turn the ball over as a touchback. What the hell's going on with this rule? Raj, I'll let you start that one. <laughs> um, as a Raider fan, Derek Carr did it two or three times. Uh, I, I think if you're fucking dumb enough to stick out your hand with one hand with a football with 11 dudes being right there trying to smack it out, then, yeah, that's a legit rule. But I didn't hear your, your second example. Um, you know, I, I'm all about I know what you're saying. If it fumbles and goes out at the one, you know, I was at the Bush push game in 2005 when USC beat Notre Dame and Matt Leinart fumbled. And fortunately enough, the ball went out right before the goal line. You know, another six inches and the game's over. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's what your point is. But. You know, I guess the analogous thing that we're, you'd put the ball at the one would be a pass interference in the end zone, you know, like you alluded to. 
Um, I don't have a problem with the rule at all. I really don't. I, I think the NFL is all about ball security, whatever that may be, and the right to possess the ball. And if, if you do that and you're that dumb, then you don't have the right to possess the ball. But I couldn't give you a straight up, you know, definitive black letter law answer. I couldn't. It's a great question. Well, real quick, here's my point on it. This is one of the few rules that is definitive. It is in the in the NFL amongst so many controversial rules that they have and judgment calls that they have. This is a definitive rule that everyone knows. So I have zero problem with it when you can clearly pick out what that rule is and if that happened or not during a play. I'm okay with that because everyone knows that rule. Everyone plays by that same rule. I get a little bit more pissed off about the judgment calls or is it a catch, not a catch? Did he take a step forward? Is that, is that, is that an athletic move? Like all that bullshit. That's what pisses me off. Um, Definitive rules are fine because everyone knows them and everyone has to play by them. So, that's my take, Tom. Sorry. Go yeah, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, you got the ball. It crosses the 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 um, goal line. The goal line. Yeah, I don't know why I was drawing a blank there. Um, <laughs> it's a touchdown. You fumble it before you get to the the line. It goes out of bounds. It's a touchback. The difference is, your hands are on the ball with the one and. You didn't cross on the other run. Break the plane is what I was trying mm-hmm. to say. Long day. Um, so I think that is the difference. Uh, and I agree with you when it, when it comes to um, catch, one step, two step. All right. Define a football move. Right. Nobody seems to know what the hell a football move is. And every expert that they bring on to try and explain, well, it's, you know, you, you made it a turn or you, you know, you tucked the ball or, you know, it's just, it's all subjective. Exactly. Exactly. So um, that is always, you know, it's, it's based upon, you know, what the official sees in that moment, but um, I won't say anything bad about the officials because my good buddy will probably uh, uh, let me know about it uh, tomorrow, but uh as far as the you know the fumbling out of bounds it, you know it's that's the risk you take when you you get close to that goal line and you want to stretch it out or if you're you know holding the ball like a like a uh, loaf of bread and 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 it gets punched out that's the risk you take of it crossing that line just on that right side of the pylon that's it's a game of inches and essentially and you just have to protect the ball. And that's the difference between the good teams and the bad teams. Fortunately for Kansas City this past week, they were able to battle back from a fumble at the one that barely, barely just happened to bounce to the right side of that pylon and go out of bounds. So, but usually most teams, you know, that's kind of a a, a momentum killer, a drive killer, and it and and it takes their uh uh, kind of wind out of their sails, but uh, it, it didn't for for uh, Kansas City, thanks to uh, some, you know, questionable uh, decisions by the Bills. But anyways. Yeah. Speaking of questionable, you guys just talked about it briefly. The on-field ruling for reversal and the fact that 
It has to be, quote, indisputable video, video evidence determined by two or three people is subjective, like you yep. said. Exactly. Don't get me started on that. Like, it's just so fucking stupid. Mm-hmm. You know? Yep. It's too much power to manipulate a game that way. You know, like, it's just, it's way too much. And, and they've got to do somehow, and I don't know what the answer is. I'm not claiming I do. But they've somehow got to do a better job. Because when you start getting into these crunch time games and these playoff games where Super Bowls, they are few and far between for a lot of teams. There's not a whole lot of, you know, Kansas City's and New England Patriots out there that just win in Steelers, you know, that win just multiple Super Bowls. So when you get that opportunity to have a game go out of your favor because of a subjective call like that, it's just they've got to do something a little better. And I don't know what the answer is. But uh, Real quick, uh, and I'll go back to the Lions game, and, and, and you talk about – uh, having too much power. There was a call in the, the play in the fourth quarter where um, Otten goes out, cuts in, and branches, or actually it was Melifonwu, um, jumped and covered him. Uh, incomplete pass. Five seconds go by. Here comes the flag from the side judge who's 25 yards in front of the play. So, and, he, and here it comes. And they huddle for three minutes. Oh, holding number six defense, five yards automatic. How, how does a guy who's 25 yards in front of the play throw a, mm-hmm. flag, a holding call? What it is is, you know, they, they throw uh, the flag, they see it on the scoreboard, and they're like, oh, shit. Um, mm-hmm. That's not – that wasn't an, an interference call. Oh, we're going to give them a hold. It's just, I've seen a lot of flags thrown and a lot of huddling. Okay. Number one, throw the flag when it happens. And number two, if you see something, you throw the flag. What, what are we talking about here? What are we questioning? Yeah. And when, why are we picking them up at the rate we're picking them up? So I, I, I think as a whole, officiating has been very questionable. And I, I, although I do like the fact that they have a, um, uh, a, a, a an escalated review process, where basically sure. New York says, ah, well, you know, it's it's quick, so so that's changed. But yeah, I mean, I I think the the officials have way too much power to dictate, you know, the yeah. result of the games. I I agree with that too. That's a great point on the delayed flags. There's there's way too many of those lately. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. The last couple of years. Uh, it almost seems as if uh, the refs are looking off and players are just, you know, lobbying for, for a flag for or waiting for a flag. And then all of a sudden, yep. you know, there's a flag thrown. Now, let's be honest. You know, you could call – there's so many penalties on every play of every NFL game. Uh, <laughs> right. Like, you could, you can call holding every play. Like, there's always pass interference. Like, they're whole, you know what I mean? Yep. But. It's the consistency of of their calling and the establishment of what they're going to allow versus what they're not, mm-hmm. and then yep. keeping that consistency throughout the game and not waiting till the end and being like, "Oh, we've let them do this all." You know, we've let them push and grab seven, eight yards off the ball all game, and then all of a sure. sudden, when it matters, we're going right. to flag. Yep, uh, like that's complete bullshit. Yep. So I, I refs need to be checked for that. Yep. Uh, hey, real uh, quick, uh, was it better when the ref 
was it easier to accept like, oh, well, that's how it goes when the ref just fucked up on the field and you moved on? No, I mean, I don't think, I think everyone was still angry at that point. I think it, all this does is amplify the anger because now you get time to look at the replays and see it. And then the refs also have to, now the refs have correct, corrected a lot of plays because of replay and because it's so evident on slow-mo and replay now. So it forces their hand in a lot of situations. Um, but they still make shitty calls and they, you know, undisputable evidence to turn all that bullshit. So mm-hmm. yeah, whatever. Depends on what camera angle you want to show. Right. So, right. Um, anyway, moving on. All right, let's do a little quick. I'm going to try and keep this right at an hour. we got about uh, seven minutes left here. Um, we'll do it real quick. Uh, what do you think? Good hire, bad hire on the coaching carousel here. Uh, We'll start with you, Raj, with the Raiders. Um, they decide to keep Antonio Pierce, head coach. Do you like it? Do you not like it? What do you think? I love it. They were five and four down the stretch. They've never played harder. You get him at a deal. Um, he, he's got a great relationship. The players play for him. And Max Crosby. Yeah. I mean, they all love him. So, it, you know, they had Rich Bisaccia two years ago. They got into the playoffs. I went to Cincinnati, froze my ass off in the divisional game. They barely lost, mm-hmm. and they fired Bisaccia uh, for uh, Lloyd Christmas, fired Bisaccia for uh, Josh McDaniel, and there yeah. you go. So, no, I, I agree. Great hire there. Um, let's go to you, Tom, my Titans, Brian Callahan. Uh, what do you think on that, taking the Burroughs boy from him? I I am not always the biggest fan of coordinator hires. Um, yes, he's been the OC for Cincinnati. Um, but it, it doesn't – I mean, the aforementioned Josh McDaniels. He's had two goes at it, and, and it just hasn't worked. Uh, I think this is a very low-frill hire for Tennessee. Um was it a a matter of they couldn't get the big name? Um, are they reaching here? I'm not sure. Um, but I can see it as an opportunity to – he's worked with some pretty decent quarterbacks. So is this a Will Levis amplified hire for ten, Tennessee? Um, I, I don't know. I don't think it's going to move the needle much down there. And I'm sure the fan base – which, which you know you're familiar with, uh, isn't overly impressed with it. But um, I mean, it's kind of a ho hum deal, quiet, uh, safe, maybe is the the right word. And and if they lose in, in a year or two, they can cut cut waste, and, and they'll move on to a be- another coordinator job. Yeah, this real quick, I'll I'll give my two cents. This was a rushed thought, a rushed hire. Um, you know they announced that we're going to have a, a coach by such and such date already, you know, all the, like you didn't even properly interview all the candidates that you wanted to half of them were zoom calls and, mm-hmm. you know, not in person. So, um, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I don't like the hire personally. I think it was rushed. Nothing against Callahan. Maybe he's going to be great. You know, who knows? But I, I think it was a rushed hire. I think uh, 
the firing of Vrabel and all that whole deal um, was, was a, a big rushed move for someone that doesn't really know what they're doing, uh, controlling the team. So I'll leave it at that. Um, Raj, Dallas, they're keeping McCarthy. What is going on there? I mean, they, they had all the pieces. Dak is wishy-washy, obviously, but everything else is clicked this year. Um, McCarthy, we thought he was a for sure fire. How is he still here? I have no idea. Jerry likes his guys. Guys, this is a man with an 11 and 11 playoff record, but that's clearly underachieved. Um, you know, no Super Bowl appearances, but just going back, you know, he was the 49ers coach. Uh, he, he took over when Tim Rattay was the quarterback and Brandon Lloyd had 700 yards. Somehow he got the Green Bay job and kind of rode some coattails there, in my opinion, which got him this job. Um, we all uh, we all know dog life when you're single dad. So, uh, so uh, we fucking totally get that. And that dog is rad. I want him to bark more. Uh, he agrees with me. So thanks, dog. But... Um, yeah. I was just baffled. I mean, they haven't improved under him. What player development, you know, what, what happened to that? And just because he got one, what Super Bowl championship, he's still got a job and Gary loves tradition and guys that have been there before and, and this and that, but you know, he kept Jason Garrett for way too long. Oh, yeah. Um, this this is just insane to me. I mean, they were punchless. Embarrassing yeah. end. Until Jerry steps down and relinquishes his control, there's uh, – what coach wants to go not, there? And just, just he wants obedience. He wants obedience. Yeah, and Jerry is obedient. McCarthy's obedient. Um, yeah. I think a lot of these new coaches that – you know, even Belichick was rumored to go there. Belichick's not going to be obedient, and I think that's why McCarthy is is still the guy. Plus, they got another year with Dak, and uh, uh, I think, think that's too. Both take the same bus out when they leave next year. There we go. He fired <laughs> six coaches coming into this year, so those were the scapegoats. So I, I would think yeah. this would be his last chance with those guys. Maybe he got a one-year reprieve, and – Jerry doesn't see a guy out there and he doesn't want to spend the money uh, for yeah. somebody like the next two well, guys we talked about. But and real real quick, I don't know if you guys heard or read about a lot of the family internal drama going on with Dallas and like uh, some of the relatives of the players talking about Dak and throwing him under the bus and you know on Twitter, there was a lot of uproar going on internally there. So that, that's another thing to look mm-hmm. out for. It seems, like a, seems like a duck on water, you know. Mm-hmm. They, they look, look fine on in the public eye, but there's a lot of shit going on. But uh, All right. And then finally, let's talk about uh, Tom's boy, Harbaugh. It was a question where he, where he was going to land, but breaking news earlier this evening before we started. Uh, he is now going to be the Los Angeles Chargers head coach. What do you think, Tom? Bye-bye. Say la vie. <laughs> I'm going to give the man his credit. I'm going to give the man his credit. 
He put Michigan back on the map. He did a lot of good things here. But every year, it was the same old, same old. Is Jim going to flirt with the NFL? Will Jim be here next year? Uh, pulling an Aaron Rodgers, in a sense, holding uh, the university hostage. And my, our good buddy JP said it the same thing. He's the biggest Michigan fan that I know. He said, good riddance. I'm tired of this stuff every year. I want consistency. You don't get that with him. And when you start peeling back the onion and realize, did he really contribute to the last few years of this team? Or did he just bring in the right coaches, the right assistants? Sharon Moore, uh, Mike McDonald two years ago, uh, Jesse Minner the past two seasons, uh, Mike Hart. You, you brought in a lot of guys that were great motivators, great coaches, turns three stars into five stars. So I think that's where Michigan still is in, you know, the driver's seat, we'll say, as long as they retain Sharon Moore and all the indications are he will be named the head coach. There has to be – I read somewhere there has to be a minimum of seven days go by before they can announce the coach. I don't understand that, but um, – uh, all indications are it's going to be more. So, and some recruits have already said that they're not going anywhere. But I, I think a, a real Michigan fan will will tell you, yeah, you know, this whole every off season it's the same old same old. It's been that five years, and we uh, get kind of tired of it. And and they get a national championship first time since 1948, I believe it was. Outright, send them out on top. I think it's the right time. I think it's a good fit for Harbaugh going to, uh, I must have said San Diego, going to L.A., even though they don't have a fan base. Uh, but he's got the piece there that he can work with in Justin Herbert. Um, I think Jesse Minter comes with him, which will hurt Michigan, which look at what Mike McDonald did with the Ravens. In two years, he's developed the best defense in the NFL. He should get a coaching job somewhere. So um, I think – the, the Chargers are in really good shape right now. Uh, I think it's a good good landing spot for Harbaugh, for Harbaugh's family. Uh, they're they're both fans of California, so I think they'll they'll do well out there. And and you know what? Great for Jim. He did great things here, representing the university. But I think it's time, and I think a real Michigan fan will would agree with with me on that one. And it's just I, I want consistency, and I think Sharon Morse, thirty five years old. He's a perfect fit for this for this school, and he's proven he can win the big game. So I think I think it's it's a win win for both situations. Respectfully, yeah. though, that sounds like a, a to me, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, like I said, but a jilted rationalization in some respects. Um, countless credit was given to Harbaugh. We don't know exactly what effect he had on that team and that program and his philosophy. All I know is he wins everywhere. You saw people with so much love for him, Sharon Moore and whatnot. Oh, sure. Um, you know, it, it sucks that he's leaving. I don't know the ramifications for Michigan with the NCAA. It kind of feels like he's bailing out, and maybe some people are pissed. But, you know, he's fifth in NFL league history and winning percentage at 695. He won in college as, you, you know, as well, obviously. He revitalized that program. You know, he got a bunch of those kids starting with the line. Um, he does have an aura about him when it comes to consistency. I mean, a lot of times I see it are like old Southern white dudes, like 
Saban and and uh, Kirby Smart, like everybody else, you know, is jumping around or maybe going pro. Sharon uh, Moore, you know, he's 35. I, I don't think he's going to stay at Michigan for 50 years if he's the higher. You know, I think he'd challenge himself the next level. Um, so I just don't want people to underestimate what he did. And just by saying you want consistency to me sort of – indicates that you know there is a some indication of bitterness um that you know you're not getting from him what you kind of expected i mean he was a michigan man he was hired for this purpose i don't remember his quotes about how long he would be here um i think you're right there was always a sense that it wouldn't be that long but um you, you know i i think he's a legendary coach and i want him to get his due but uh yeah I, I wouldn't be thrilled either, but it looks like they're going to be in good hands. Real quick, another reason why he's leaving, he did not and has not had the 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 backing of the uh, athletic director, Ward Manuel. Um, rumors, and you know how rumors go, but there was a guy named Singleton who worked in the athletic department who's hand-in-hand hand with Ward Manuel. Rumors are he's the one that leaked all the stallions information. And Lord Manuel kept saying that there was a contract on the table. Jim just hadn't signed it. That was not true. There has never been a contract on the table. Uh, Lord Manuel is not a fan of Jim Harbaugh, has never been a fan of Jim Harbaugh. And Jim Harbaugh doesn't like Lord Manuel. So it was it was a relationship that either one went or the other went. And I think the financial opportunity uh, presented a real easy decision for, for Harbaugh. And for me, uh, the next best, best thing for the University of Michigan Athletic Department is to clean house, top to bottom. Ward Manuel, <laughs> Juwan Howard, uh, they've had, they'd had issues with, with um, a player that played for the basketball team that took the coach's wife's car and crashed it. There's a current player on the team that is not allowed to travel with the team. He can only play home games. So the, the athletic department's in shambles, and it starts with Ward Manual, and it's, it, that's got to be the change. So until that happens, I, I it could be doom and gloom for Michigan. Who knows? Could they force pen, or can they uh, suffer penalties? You know, like Lane Kevin came to USC in 2011. They got hit with sanctions from 2000 alleged incidents in 2000. I I think it's it's a done deal. I think everything is done with Harbaugh. Yeah, they I don't think Harbaugh. They got what they wanted. Harbaugh's done. Yeah, I don't think they'll mess with Michigan whatsoever. But. No. All right, uh, let's wrap that up and let's get on to uh, our favorite segment. Let's make you guys some money. It's time for bet your nuts. All right, real quick, we're not going to dive into NBA and college basketball quite yet on the Bet Your Nuts segment. We still got uh, some NFC, AFC championship games going on here this weekend. Let's dive into that. First off, uh, Raj, let's start with you. Casey at Baltimore. Over under 44.5. Baltimore is favored by 3.5. Now, I know... 
you were one of the ones that also loved that stat of Mahomes when he's an underdog on the road. What do you yeah. think about this game? Uh, I'm taking, as a Raider fan, it pains me, but I'm taking Kansas City, depending on the weather. Three things have worked for me this offseason, really, and I usually like props, but underdogs and the over are big ones. Uh, I'm not going to say how much I've lost, but I'm taking both dogs, and I'm taking the over in this game. Uh, another thing for me has been receiving yardage, uh, mainly by tight ends. I'm sad to see my man Otten go because he just made me a ton of money. Dalton can get me a TD. Um, and, uh, you know, we've got some amazing tight ends in this game, but their yardage is set a little high. But, um, no, those are the, the things. But overall, I'll take 9-1-1 one one ATS Mahomes. Uh, and, and I think even though Andrews is back, a better coaching staff and defensive coordinator in Kansas City at Baltimore. All right, I like it. Um, Tom? I, I think I think we're in for a classic on this one. Um, Lamar's been special this year. Uh, he's he's focused really on his his pocket presence and his ability to throw the football, and that that was the big question mark with Lamar Jackson. You know, can he be a quarterback per se? And I think uh, the answer is resoundingly yes. So when you take that and you mix in his ability to extend plays and just absolutely take off running, leading the team um, in rushing. Although I did hear a stat that no team whose quarterback led them in rushing has ever made the Super Bowl. Um, maybe, you know, throws a monkey wrench in this, but uh, um, I think he's proven himself this year. Uh, I do think Kansas City coming in hot with their experience, but the factor in this game is going to come down to a defense. Uh, Baltimore is strong defensively, uh, strong at linebacker. Um, I think they're going to do just enough. This game's in Baltimore. I think that can kind of give them the edge here. So uh, give me Baltimore and the over. I think this has potential to be a bit of a shootout. So, uh, But 44 seems awfully low to me with two uh, pretty much high-profile, high uh efficient quarterback so um one both who can run both who can extend plays both who have that security blanket at tight end with isaiah likely who has led the team in receiving baltimore ever since andrews went down and the aforementioned uh, uh travis kelsey so i like baltimore here in the over expected to rain that day now i'm not sure about the hours but 44 with a 70 percent chance we'll mm. have to see when yeah and that That'll favor a ground and pound anytime. So. Yeah. Um, I've got to go, Casey. Again, you give me this formula that has worked so well um, through the Patriots and having that tight end safety blanket and a great quarterback that can lift his receivers up, see the field well, and then you get that extra scramble with Mahomes. Um, he's in playoff mode, and, man, this this dude just is hard to beat in January. Um, it's it's. I agree, Tom. I think it's going to be a, a hell of a game. I think it's down within those those points, but I like Casey here. Um, 
with the plus points. I mean, I think they could win by, you know, one or two points here. Uh, and the over, over seems like a sucker bet. I'm going to stay away um, with weather and all that. I'm going to stay away from the over, but I, I do like KC. So we'll go there. All right. Back to you, Tom. Let's look at your lines in San Fran. Should be a balmy 67 degrees. Uh, minus seven San Fran over unders 50 and a half. Who well, well, they are the, the consummate underdog. And it started with week one when Detroit went to Kansas City. They a primetime game, Thursday night game. They were raising the banner, handing out the ring. So it, there isn't a more uh, emotional type of crowd, uh, a violent, hostile crowd, a situation for a team. Um, that's it. They went in there. Everyone told them they didn't have a snowball's chance. They won. Fast forward to this week, all the so-called – Pundits said there's not a chance that Detroit can win. Uh, maybe if Debo doesn't play. But I think if you ask every person on the Detroit Lions how you would rather have it, and I think they'd rather have it this way. When they're bet against is when they play their best. This team's very comfortable on the road. They have proven it. They They went on the road again, beat Kansas City, beat Green Bay, although before Green Bay kind of took their step, but nonetheless beat them at Lambeau, which is not an easy task. So now you face the number one seed 49ers, who it's the sexy pick. They've got all the names, they all the glitz, the glamour. But they've got a quarterback that looked really suspicious last week, and he looked very vulnerable. But when it came down to make the right plays, he did, and they got they got the win. Um, albeit it was some Buffalo Bills-like play from the Packers in that fourth quarter that kind of shot themselves in the foot. But nonetheless, San Francisco comes out on top. Weather will not be a factor. This is going to be a ground-and-pound game. Christian McCaffrey versus Jameer Gibbs and, and David Montgomery. I think the Lions love it when they're bet against, when their backs are against it. This this number is really high. Uh I like the Lions to cover. I like the Lions to win. I think their momentum carries them. Uh, one Pride Nation will be represented in San Francisco. There will be a lot of Lions fans in the house. My Twitter feed has been filled with people that are getting ready to board planes that are heading out there. And uh, as you've, everyone has seen, road games have felt like home games for the Lions. Give me Detroit to win. And the over. This is going to be a high-powered, high-powered offensive game on both sides. I like the Lions here. Uh, I believe in momentum. I believe in fate. Uh, I was going to put a graphic up that showed the last time the Detroit Lions won the NFL championship. That's right, the NFL championship before the Super Bowl era. was in 1957. And the last time... The Detroit Lions won a road playoff game, was in 1957 against who? You guessed it. The San Francisco 49ers on pace, on their way to defeating, uh, I want to say, the Cleveland Browns for uh, the NFL championship, which ironically enough, Cleveland and Detroit dominated the 50s. But 
I think fate is at play here. Give me the Lions. Come on, give me the Lions. Give the- uh, Can the NFL get any more scripted than that right there? Let's go. Raj, come on. Here you go. What well, seems like big underdogs perform in these types of games? And um, let's let's be honest, dude. San Francisco's kind of made a glass, you know. And, and uh, Brandon Naive like an hour ago said uh, he expects Debo to play. Uh, Debo's an amazing player. In 2021, you know, he had 10 TDs, 1,000, 1,400 yards receiving, 400 yards, and like another eight TDs rushing. But since then, he's not been the same guy. Ironically enough, that was the only season he completed. And the Niners are eight and nine all time without him, I believe. Um, when he comes in, he always seems to get hurt and leave for a couple of plays. Uh, McCaffrey, a similar thing. And, and the Lions with their youth match up quite well. Um, the issue for me is, well, let me just say, I think they're going to hang. I'm scared of the over, but if the Lions are going to hang, it's going to have to hit. Um and I can see a shootout mainly because of uh, Detroit's tempo and their secondary is uh, their defense is not great, especially the secondary. Uh, Detroit's actually top five in the NFL against the run, which bodes well for them. Um, but you know they're a young, fast team, and um, you know their strengths match up well with the Niners' strengths. You know, tight end with their linebackers, etc. Um, but the difference for me is just going to be the overall. 49er defense that's just the second best in the NFL uh, by a lot of metrics, very close to the Jets. And they were a top 10 team in tackling while Detroit was in the bottom 10. And you've got to tackle the San Francisco 49ers. They have three receivers. Juwan Jennings, Tennessee folks know, is, you know, every bit of 6'3", 215 pounds. Debo's 215. Kittle's a big man. Ayuk's 200. Um, you got to tackle those dudes, and Purdy likes to get it out fast to those guys because they're they're not going to be burners. Um, but that's my concern: is Detroit's ability to stay in front and wrap up what is a really big, well coached, disciplined team. Um, but it, in the end, I'm I don't want to do it because I love Detroit. We all love Detroit. It's hard not to love Detroit. Um, I wish they could wear the Honolulu Blues this weekend, but I'm going to take the Lions to cover. And um, I feel strong about that. Very strong. Probably the strongest of all of them. And uh, But I'll take the Niners to win in a close game. But I'm scared of the over, but my own logic, I'll have to take it because Detroit's going to have to put up points. All right. I like it. Um I'm not going to get so in-depth on a breakdown analysis of the, the teams like Raj does. He covers all of our bases for us. He's the brains uh, of the operation. The Lions are the new America's, American team, America's team, however you want to say it. Uh, just every Everyone's rooting for them. It's just such a good story. This this is a year. Dan Campbell's such a, a likable guy. You just want to pull for that guy. Um, you know, if you're a player, you'd want to play for a guy like that. That's how I felt about Brable for quite some time. Um, so I give me the lines. I think they cover. I hope they win. I don't know if they can. It's going to be really, really close. I, I like Raj's point. I am a little worried about that secondary uh, somewhat. Um, 
and, and their tackling aspects. So, but give me the lines and uh, another sidebar. Um, the Bills are the new Dallas Cowboys of the AFC. So you heard it here first. <laughs> they they will be in the same boat for quite some time until they get McDermott. So um, that being said, let's get on, uh, get over with. Final thoughts here, boys. Final words. Tom, we'll start with you. Final words. Well, before I get into my final words, I just want to say uh, – Prayers go out to Robbie and uh, his his father. Uh, uh, they had to take him to the ER. He had a slip and fall uh, over the snowstorm that you guys had there in Tennessee, and he had a broken wrist and a punctured lung. So um, we uh, we're thinking about you, buddy. We hope uh, Dad's doing okay, and uh, uh, we'll definitely be uh, checking in on you tomorrow. Make sure everything's good. But uh, um, but my final words tonight are. Uh, uh, this city uh, has been down in the dumps, doom and gloom as a sports fan base for many years since probably the, uh, you know, the, the 2012 run from the Tigers uh, that fell just a little bit short against San Francisco, ironically. Uh, um, but the last month in the state of Michigan has been uh, one I will never forget from the University of Michigan winning their first national championship, you know, beating Alabama, beating Washington, um, and the run that the Lions are on. I mean, if, if hope isn't the, the biggest and loudest word for the city of Detroit, I don't know what is. Um, and Dan Campbell nailed it when he said that, you know, they represent Detroit and and they embody Detroit. And I, I he couldn't be more correct. And And this city's proud of him. And I think the message is uh, loud and clear outside of the state of Michigan that people are jumping on. And I love what's happening. Uh, it's exciting to be talking about Detroit Lion football uh, at the end of January. That's unheard of. And it's only happened twice in my lifetime. I'm, I'll be 47 this year. So uh, it's a starved, it's a starved fan base. And uh, there isn't a more deserving fan base. I know I sound biased, but um, I really believe that, um, and it showed by the participation at Ford Field. So I'm proud of of Dan Campbell. I'm proud of uh, Brad Holmes, what he's been able to build, and I'm damn proud of Sheila uh, Hemp Ford, who kind of is the architect for this whole thing. She is a Ford, and the, the, big, the big pushback for many years was the Fords have to sell the team. Well, it turned out it just had to be placed in the hands of the right Ford, and Sheila is it. She is her. Uh, she's built this this uh, culture uh, from the front office down, and uh, the results are showing. Uh, and boy, would it feel good to uh, win Sunday night and uh, head into Vegas uh, as the NFC representatives in the Super Bowl. So go Lions. Um, looking forward to Sunday, and I'm looking forward to recapping that game uh, come next week with you boys. Rush? As I eat. A sour patch kid <laughs> that I stole from my kid to stay away. We just wanted to touch more on what we talked about earlier about finding gems, talent evaluation, and talent development, which is coaching. I hate all the metrics at the draft and how dudes suddenly didn't do shit during the season, but you know, they jumped 14 feet and there's picked and they turn into nothing. And 
if you look at these teams, these gems, we talked about the Lions and all the success they've found. Um, we talked about the Rams who had one down year. I thought they were screwed for like 10 years after what they went for. But they found Nakua and Kyron Williams in the fifth round. Researching more, the 49ers, um, they're just chock full of them. Hufanga, all-pro USC fifth. Uh, Diamador, uh, Lenore, the DB from Oregon, fifth. George Kittle, fifth. Uh, Juwan Jennings, a starter, seventh. Uh, Mitchell, Elijah Mitchell, seventh. And, of course, or no, I think it was sixth. Mr. Irrelevant, Brock Purdy was the last pick in the freaking seventh round. Side note, back to the Chiefs and how they have 11 starters in the last, like, six years. Uh, Isaiah Pacheco was taken 10 picks ahead of Brock Purdy uh, in the seventh round that year. So you have two of the most valuable players in the league taken in that, and there's no mistake. It's not a coincidence why these are the teams – that are in the playoffs. When you look at the Ravens, um, you know, Isaiah likely was a fourth round pick. Um, was he the XFL guy too? Uh, I believe so. Yes, you're absolutely right. Um, they just haven't missed, you know, on their first round picks, which are rare. Uh, Queen Dobbins, if he ever plays, mm-hmm. Matt Buike, um, Kyle Hamilton from Notre Dame, um, another team that built a Harbaugh, obviously from the trenches, and they play that power running football. It doesn't matter who you put back there behind him. Uh, Justice Hill, Gus Edwards, uh, what's his name? It just got hurt. Keaton Mitchell. They've all been productive. And these are products of organizations that that draft well and develop well. And there is, again, no coincidence whatsoever why these four teams remain. Well said. Um, I'm going to piggyback on that just a little bit um to your point it shows the importance of having an identity as a as a program and a culture right like you have to know what you're looking for what to evaluate to fit into your system because let's be honest and we've seen this time and time again there are several super athletic super talented kids that come through the nfl that are not in the right system that does not exploit their strengths and they end up a journeyman or out of the NFL in two or three years and they're playing in the XFL or whatever. Uh, you know, so there, there's a lot of misevaluation there, but it's also systematic, but that's again, to my point, the importance of having an identity as, as a team and as a program and everyone being on board. So that allows you to get those seventh round picks and, and move forward with that evaluation. Um, that being said, again, Robbie, um, thoughts and prayers to you for sure and your family. Flossie is a tough and stubborn dude. He will be just fine, I'm sure. Um, uh, again, if you need anything from me, I got a text you earlier. I'm, I'm nearby, so uh, I can I can swing by and, and do whatever you guys need. So You've known um, him his whole life, right? Like your whole life. You know, uh, I've since, met him like yeah. five times and he is a legend. Uh, oh, yeah. I've known Flossie since so I was like four years old, dude. So, yeah. Flossie, dude. He is awesome. Uh, he's the best. He's like my second dad growing up for sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, great show, guys. Uh, don't forget, tune in next week. We'll have some recaps of 
everything that's gone down uh, in in the playoffs and uh, hopefully a happy happy time and uh, everybody else is going to be rich because we just gave you the key to make some money. <laughs> Until next time, tune in, boys. Shit burgers to the Niners. Go Lions! Thanks for listening to another episode of Reckless Speculation. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube searching Reckless Speculation. Catch us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We look forward to catching you right here next week with another exciting episode of Reckless Speculation. Cheers. Cheers.